0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: Come see The Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one of a kind look at The Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel.
2: Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino, today with the Element Wealth Studios relocated to the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum in the heart of Camp Shelby. That would be in the Pine Belt, just south of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Friday, y'all. And it is a long, extended weekend across these United States. Reports from the AAA indicate that we might have historical travel activity, Rhino, this weekend. They're saying like 42 million people. And uh, just reading anecdotally some of the comments from those set to travel, When they were asked about, well, you know, the price of gas is high, the price of travel is high, and of course, uh, as well, just the price of everything is high, and people are saying, don't care. I'm going to go out and just uh, enjoy the long weekend and not worry about that sort of stuff at this point. We got the personal consumption expenditure data this morning, the PCE report, that's what... Economists, and in particular, the Fed, typically pay the most attention to in guiding their interest rate decisions. It came in a little, a little hotter than expected. Um, So it, it did not decline. It actually increased. It ticked up, talking about personal consumption expenditure data, price data month over month, and on an annualized uh, basis, slightly higher. I think that gives cover for the Fed for another rate hike in June. What will that be? Quarter point? Half a point? Not sure. I will say, however, that many of the economists and analysts that felt like we'd see a pivot before the end of the year to start pulling back on interest rates I think that's off the table at this point. I don't see that happening. Meanwhile, up in Washington, leaders continue to negotiate the debt ceiling. No agreement has been reached at this point, although there are some reports that uh, we might get one this afternoon. U.S. Representative Kevin Hearn, who leads the largest Republican caucus he said late yesterday he believed a deal to raise the nation's debt ceiling was quote likely by Friday afternoon said quote we are inching closer to a deal I think it's some of the finer points they are working on right now and he's talking about negotiators for both sides for both the White House, the President, the Democrats and the Republicans. I gotta give props to Kevin McCarthy. I think he has been the adult in the room on this deal every time he is interviewed by the media. He, uh, he, he talks, I think, in just common-sense language uh, indicating that the President should be willing to negotiate, that there's really no reason not to. We've been trying to get you to do this since January the 12th. That's when Uh, Kevin first reached out to the White House, the Speaker, and in fact he tweeted this morning, Do you have an extra $800 lying around? That's how much more you owe as your share of the national debt since January the 12th when I first called on President Biden to negotiate. His delay has real consequences. His default would be even worse. Now, some of the right-leaning members, far-right-leaning members, I don't know if if far-right is necessarily an accurate description, but those that seem to be more dug in on this matter are saying that they expect the Speaker to come back with a deal that aligns with the bill passed in the House by a, the slimmest of margins. As I recall, Rhino's like 217, 215 is the number that comes to mind, a, a two-vote uh, margin. They expect that the Speaker would return with a deal that 100% aligns with what was passed in the House. However, indications are that a couple of those issues, a couple of those uh, demands, provisions of that bill. One of those, uh, in particular, the 80 billion dollars funded for additional IRS agents, 87,000 to be exact. The bill provided for total elimination of uh, that 80 billion dollars of funding. And it appears that right now where it sits is an agreement to reduce it by ten billion, leaving seventy billion in place. A compromise, if you will. So that's that's a little disconcerting, and House Republicans, the Freedom Caucus in particular, have said that's not acceptable. So you got that. And then the other big sticking point which is really just continues to be amazing to me. Is the work requirements? You either got to be involved in public service, working, or looking for work to receive uh, certain certain benefits from the federal government, and um, and those include uh, TANF funds, as well as SNAP food SNAP food stamps and Medicaid benefits. Now, on average those amount to respectively five hundred dollars three hundred dollars and eight hundred dollars a month and and so all the Republicans through this bill are asking for is you either got to be working or you've got to um, be searching for work or you've got to be involved in some sort of Community service. I don't understand why that's not reasonable. And here's something else to think about, and Speaker McCarthy makes this point regularly. If in doing so, we get some people into the workforce, guess what they're doing? Contributing to Social Security and Medicare, which is upside down. Why would Democrats not embrace that very simple, reasonable concept and requirement? It just just is incredible. But they're they're holding firm and saying, oh we can't do that, we can't um, remove these sort of benefits from individuals and households because they're not working, That's just incredible. Over there in the Senate, Elizabeth Warren says Republicans are using the debt ceiling to hold the economy hostage, pretending to care about the deficit one of their hostage demands cutting funding for the irs to track down the hidden cash of wealthy tax cheats funding that will raise as much as one trillion terrible idea well first there liz one trillion is a huge stretch secondly of course folks as we've shared so many times on the program that's over 10 years not saying it's peanuts but it's over ten years, it's a hundred billion a year. That's if everything lines up perfectly, which it never does. And this assumption she has that there's a hundred billion a year of taxes, not income, taxes, that are just hidden, hidden cash. No, that's just not the case. And that is nothing compared to the so called underground cash economy. That is not being subject to or reported uh, to the IRS as income. Nothing. They they believe that it's always the wealthy that are cheating, that are hiding income and cash. It's a way harder for them to do so because of all the systems that um, that generate reports and information that goes directly to the IRS for all of these transactions. Who was it here in Mississippi, Uh, Rhino, the representative just recently that uh, has been found to have committed felony tax fraud, not reporting $500,000 real estate transaction? Uh, Banks. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Representative Banks. So that's the kind of stuff that happens. It's not, they think it's Elon Musk. They think it's Jeff Bezos. Wrong. They, They don't even know. They have armies of tax people um, and tax professionals that do all that, and they ain't putting their reputation on the line or endangering their their livelihood. That's what that's what Liz doesn't get, but it's. Politically popular to her base It is time for a break here In the Element Wealth Studios Down at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum At Camp Shelby Today, Colonel Mark Prime, Special project president Of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum At 10.37 Colonel Lee Henry, the commander of Camp Shelby After the top of the hour At 11.05 Of course, Tommy Lofton Director of the Armed Forces Museum Joins us as well Coming right back, stay with us
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
3: Let's get on
0: with it on Super Talk, Mississippi. <laughs>
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. It is Memorial Day weekend across these United States, and that's why we're here at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Always enjoy the visit here. And if you haven't been here, folks, you need to come. This is truly a gem within the state of Mississippi honoring Mississippians who served in our Armed Forces. Uh, fantastic facility. The exhibits are incredible. And, and they keep adding more. And we're going to find out what's going on from uh, Colonel Prime uh, here at the museum. And also, of course, Tommy Lofton, the director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum on the program today. And Dr. Andrew Wiest, a University of Southern Mississippi history professor and guest speaker for the Memorial Day ceremonies here at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. I read his, uh, his bio, Rhino. It's fascinating. I believe he's written 17 books. Wow. And um, also, if, if I understood it correctly, looking at his bio at the USM website, it, it, uh, looking at the courses that he teaches, I saw one entitled, it appears to be, a course, Vietnam. And so I'm looking forward to talking to uh, Dr. Wiest about his research there and and just gaining some of his knowledge and insight into uh, America's uh, foreign conflicts. Vietnam has always been so fascinating to me, I think because it was really the first war that you could watch on television in the 60s. And I was a kid. Uh, back in the '60s, when it was going on, and even though I was young, it, it it always bothered me. You know, just watching those images, even at 10, 11 years old, how could you not be when you see American soldiers and in, in, off in this terrible place, honestly, with with all of the um, uh, the guerrilla warfare and the atrocities. And you just wonder, what the heck are we doing here? And, of course, it's a big deal in this country. Tore the country apart. But these folks still went off heeding the call of their country, and they did what they were asked to do. Average person who served in Vietnam, in country, 19. I believe there was a couple of songs even written about that, explaining that. But it's ter- terrible time. Uh, in our history, but again, played out on American television, and every day you would get the the, the uh, KIA and MIA uh, reports. And, and that was just as part of the, the news every evening. Of course, you didn't have the 24-hour news cycle you had today. It was pretty much your daily dose of 30 minutes of network news. Iconic. News anchors, of course, at the time, Walter Cronkite, perhaps the, the father of all network anchors, and, and Walter, by the way, philosophically leaned left, but you couldn't tell that in his news delivery. You couldn't tell that even in what little commentary he would offer. He just delivered the news straight, the facts. Oh, how I long for those days with respect to news. That's not the case anymore. Speaking of which, oh, my gosh, the attacks on Ron DeSantis. Incredible. I just shared with uh, Alex, our content director, Rhino, have you seen this? The sort of deep, fake Zoom call, like web call that Donald Trump shared. Have you seen this one? that features it was posted on Instagram and it's done like as a um, as a typical sort of Zoom call and it includes <laughs> Hitler, George Soros, the FBI, among others. You could see their photos and circles on the screen. Like you Yeah, would that's a, a
2: Twitter TV. space. That's what the yeah. that's what Ron yeah, DeSantis right. launched in.
3: Okay, well, I, I've never used Twitter space. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old WebEx guy. I hadn't had the need to use Twitter space, but okay, which is really just um, a, a web call, if you will, that um, is one way. In other words, whoever's hosting it uh, owns, I believe, unless you turn the, the um, controls to allow access and participation by those on the call. Right, so otherwise, it's kind of a one-way deal. It's whomever's hosting the call um, and and uh, speaking, uh, also on video as well, if they choose to be. Everybody else is just listening and commenting. But in this particular case, it's interactive, at least this fake call. Uh, but it, it includes Ron DeSantis, Elon Musk, George Soros, the FBI, the devil, Adolf Hitler, Dick Cheney. <laughs> klaus schwab and it's um kind of a parody on the desantis announcement yeah uh, and if this was created by ai and it just seems completely authentic because the voices sound like the real people including adolf hitler and i play it for you except it's got some expletives in it that we cannot share over the air <laughs> but there is one point where the FBI figures out they have been discovered as partici- as a participant on the call and they said and they say something that I cannot repeat on the air we got to get out of here and they drop off the call. This is crazy. And and what this made me think about uh Rhino is that uh, of course in the last two election cycles in 16 in particular it was Russian collusion that's what influenced and essentially factored into the election and drove the outcome in 16 and then in 20 of course we've got not only the ballot and voting irregularity issue but also the expungement of and the censoring of The Hunter Biden story, as an example, that it's now believed would have been a big factor in the outcome of the election. But as we approach 24, something I I think we should think about is this advent of extremely powerful AI, and now widely available, are we going to see lots of deep, fake video that might feature, for example, a candidate, not authentically... But in a very negative light, doing something. Hasn't there already been some stuff done with Trump, Rhino, where he's like strangling FBI people or something like that? Oh, yeah.
2: There have been deep fake images of uh, Trump fighting with security guards or being arrested. <laughs> uh, one of the more infamous ones was a deep fake of the Pope wearing a down jacket, one of those big puffy jackets. It was about trench coat length. And people were praising the Pope for having good fashion sense, and they, until people realized, wait, this is AI generated. The Pope doesn't wear that. And there have been that's just pictures. You've also had there's an entire subgenre on YouTube of AI generated voices of former presidents discussing the matters of the day like a podcast would, or or even video game. Like, there's one where it's former President Obama, former President Trump, President Joe Biden, and I want to say it was former President George W. Bush was also in it, where they were playing Call of Duty and talking smack to each other.
3: Unbelievable. Don't you think we're going to see a whole lot more of this, though, as we approach the election? And, and have you seen the story about uh, the deep fake that depicts the Pentagon exploding? Yeah, that caused
2: a ripple on uh, the stock market because people believed it was true. And that's the problem is, while that one was probably not necessarily nefarious, it, it does look bad. Yeah. But the thing with Trump is it's obviously a joke. He has the devil in the call. He's got Hitler in the call. It's obviously meant to poke fun, but you have some people that are clutching their pearls, losing their minds, like, look at the lies he's spreading. It's like, when did we start calling jokes
3: lies? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But you're right. It did cause uh, quite a ruckus, the Pentagon deal. But you're going to see more of this. There's no doubt, and I believe this will have more impact on the election than anything else that's happened in our history. This AI deep fake technology. It is time for a break here on the middays. When we come back, we've got Colonel Mark Prine, Special Project and President of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We're gonna get an uh, the board, I should say. We're gonna get an update on all the stuff, the great stuff happening here at the Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. We're taking a break with some patriotic music. Thank you for that, Rhino. It's Memorial Day weekend. Coming right back.
0: Gerard Gibbert Welcome, welcome to our show On Super Talk Mississippi Okay now, you have a good one
3: Welcome back, everyone. Middays live today from the heart of Camp Shelby, Mississippi. We are at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum with the long extended Memorial Day weekend approaching. And please, folks, remember the purpose of Memorial Day, and that is to honor and recognize the men and women who served in our armed forces, and made the ultimate sacrifice to protect our freedoms. And joining us now here at the Element Well Studios is Mark Prine, Colonel Mark Prine, uh, retired and now the Special Projects Officer for Camp Shelby, also President of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum Board. Colonel, always good to see you, sir. Good
1: to see you, too. Welcome to Camp Shelby.
3: Yes, sir. So notice we've had some ceremonies uh, going on today. Always enjoy uh, the fantastic uh, Armed Forces Band. Yes. They're great, aren't they? They're incredible. We are so excited to have them with us today. And you were telling me that you don't join the military and raise your hand and say, "I want to get in the band." You got to have some experience and background in that.
1: Right, the musicians who are in Forty First Army Band, like all military musicians, have to pass an audition before they even talk to them about joining service. So uh, they, much like doctors, lawyers, uh, sure, chaplains, uh, they have to have a skill before they can get in.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So what's planned for the Memorial Day ceremony today? We
1: had uh, recognition uh, today of the Gold Star families that were here present, and then uh, uh, Andy Weist spoke about two Mississippians who had given uh, their lives in service, uh, and then we recognized our veteran Gold Star veteran today was Henry Lee Brown from Jackson, who lost his life in 1967 in Vietnam. Uh, we have him featured here. He is a Silver Star recipient uh, for his service uh during Vietnam. Wow. And able to recognize him. And that's what we try to do each uh, Veterans yeah. Day is select a Mississippian who has uh, paid the ultimate sacri- sacrifice, I should say on Memorial Day, yeah. and recognize them.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So. The Armed Forces Museum, every time we come down here, uh, I am reminded of just how special this place is. So uh, tell us about the the various things that are available to the public that should come see the Armed Forces Museum.
1: Well, the great thing about the museum is it's located here on post at Camp Shelby, so there are other events that you can uh, coordinate when you come to visit with uh, with us. Uh, we have lots of school groups that come here uh, to tour the museum, but they'll also go and look at the static equipment displays, which is modern equipment that they're using right now that mm. we have set up for them to go through and look. Uh, we have a rails-to-trails course here. Uh, we've been recently sanctioned by Scouting USA, so a 14-mile mm. course here, so you can come and do the 14-mile hike, that is required for scouting, to come here. We have a driving tour now. We've marked historic locations all throughout Post, go all the way back to World War I, uh, all the way through the modern era. Hmm. Uh, we recently, and I mentioned to you earlier, is that uh, we were able to find diagrams of where the French and British officers came here in World War I, laid out trenches for training. We've been able to relocate some of the, where those trenches are. They're now marked, and they're part of our driving tour.
3: So was this known uh, all, all along, Colonel, that these trenches and that this training facility to train World War I officers from Europe existed?
1: We, we knew about the officers coming here, and we knew about the trenches being laid out, but it was doing a kind of a deep dive to find out where the trenches were. Um, you've got to imagine, uh, during World War II, this place got turned over almost completely, but yeah. we were able to find some sections of the trenches that still existed. That's uh, we used some of the young folks from Youth Challenge Academy help us clear that area out. We've been able to market and uh, built a ramp now so you can stand on that ramp and overlook where the trenches
3: were. Uh, it's
1: kind of remarkable that hundred and some odd years later that they're still out there.
3: So I assume then the idea was to simulate what they would encounter uh, in in the war area, in the combat areas.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, When they came here, um, when uh, Camp Shelby was selected, it had been freshly cut over uh, by the Newman Lumber Company. So it was just wide open ground with a lot of stumps and and rough places out there. That's pretty much what the no-man's land looked like in France. Okay
3: that's incredible so tell us about the youth challenge academy you were just mentioning something about that i, I saw them um in the ceremonies here just occurring a few minutes ago Saw so i walking out the doors so tell us about that
1: Up, well, they're winding up uh that's class number 58 they're winding up uh their time here at camp shelby uh finishing up the program that they started in january with us so graduate uh, june the 17th we're using temple baptist church west of hattiesburg for their graduation this time uh just we're really excited for them because this looks like class will be uh have the highest percentage of students to receive a high school diploma this time they've completed high step uh and uh ged testing so uh we're keeping our fingers crossed that uh, they're able to break that
3: record that is fantastic uh, talk about some of the public events you've got going on here at okay. camp shelby okay
1: you, well yeah. the great thing about camp shelby is it's state-owned so we're able to do some things maybe you can't do on federal installation so we're hosting a number of events coming up uh, we've got the pedal school district coming down going to use uh they'll be visiting with us and uh, doing some administrative training down here like i said we've got the youth challenge academy graduation coming up uh the american legion will be down here in june they have uh, a annual college that they have here to where they work with their veterans officials uh the va will be down here in july on the 22nd here at the museum they're holding a pack act claims clinic so if you were exposed to any kind of uh Contamination Overseas, specifically with the Global War on Terror, they'll be able to come in and help you with that. It could be here in the Grain Gallery. Uh, And, of course, we've always got field trips going on. So uh, you think school's out, but now there's summer camps and all those kind of events coming down. So we always encourage people to come down and visit Camp Shelby uh, with a field trip. And our friends at the Special Olympics, uh, we go back decades with them and them having their fall games here. So we're looking forward to seeing them again in October.
3: Yeah. So with respect to the field trips, Colonel, Most of the children that would come through here, I'm thinking, really have not uh, been alive when this country was involved in in serious uh, foreign wars and conflicts. What's their reaction when they go to this museum and and see not only uh, kind of a a closer look at these these wars that America fought, but also Mississippi's participation in them?
1: I think they're really... um Amazed, especially when you can bring groups through and uh, you can point out people who are from their hometown or they know, you know, have a connection, have a connection, and they're kind of like going, Oh, you mean this guy is from from Bay St. Louis, that's where I'm from, yeah. or this guy is from Jackson, that's where I'm from. So to have them be able to tie and talk about people from Mississippi, um, we have students come through here from, from various places, and we talk about a young man who uh, was went to Mississippi Normal College, now Southern Miss, yeah. and you know, students are going, wait a minute, uh, he was in school <laughs> and he, he dropped out of school to go, and, yeah. yes. Yeah. So when you're able to tie that to them, and you know, we're looking at, at younger school students now who are rolling through that were not alive when 9-11 occurred, yeah. so that's a, a a lot of, a, of an education process for them as well to understand that whole uh, global war on terror conflict
3: that lasted so long. Do you feel like they leave here, Colonel, with um, the respect that should be given to our armed forces, the men and women who served in it in particular?
1: I think they're very much more aware of uh of what the sacrifice is that the men and women uh, just those who maybe went and served and came home but especially those who for Memorial Day who gave their lives uh, when you talk to them and you're able to relate to say well this young man was, was 18 when, when he was killed this young lady was 22 and you're talking to people who are pretty much the same age yeah. they are yeah. they, they really makes an impact for them
3: it's important we've, we've got to continue to yep. keep that, that legacy alive even though again we're fortunate we haven't had any, any serious conflicts that have pulled uh, lots of our young young people into the military and travel abroad and and end up giving their lives. Uh, we still need to understand that we and do. remember that, and that's what we celebrate on Memorial Day.
1: We do, and the the fact that many of them are understanding that most of the people that they or the people that they're dealing with, really since Vietnam, are all volunteers. Uh, that they volunteered to do this as opposed to you know being called to the service by their nation. They raised their right hand free. Yeah.
3: That's true, and you mentioned um, Andy Weist. We've got Dr. Weist coming on the program uh, later on today. Look forward to talking to him. I mean, he's really a scholar about he really is. Uh, our history and war.
1: He really is. Uh, I was at the Army War College, and you know, when they're t- teaching out of a book, that you know, you got to go. Wait a minute, I don't live far from that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a really, really wonderful
3: asset. That's pretty cool. So, talk about. Um, uh, the funding sources for the Armed Forces Museum. How does that work?
1: Well, the state is very generous in being able to help us uh, with our staff. Uh, Camp Shelby is very generous in helping us with our utilities, but the maintenance that we have and changing of displays here is all done through our foundation. So we reach out to corporations, uh, individuals across the state to help us fund uh, and update our displays. We were just uh, received a very generous donation from Ingalls, so we're going to be mm. taking the uh, – Rosie the Riveter, Miss Vera Anderson, yeah. her uh display. We found some videotape of her in the welding competition in the 1940s. So we're changing that, putting a a screen up now so that we can highlight her in the home front effort. So cool. Uh, And so we always are looking for uh, any kind of companies or individuals who would like to participate and help us maintain the the displays here and update the displays. We're always looking for those those contributions. And you serve
3: as the president of the the foundation board.
1: Yes, I do. And uh, that's one of my primary jobs is to reach out to groups and individuals across the state to help them bring them into the fold here to help us fund the museum.
3: Them. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, once again, folks, if you haven't been here, you got to visit. Um, it, it will just blow you away how well done the exhibits are. How authentic they are and it it just such a it's an education. It's like years of education of history crammed into a short period of time as you walk through this place. It's so well done. Congratulations, Colonel. Thank you, sir, of course, for your service as always and thank you uh, for having us here today. It's our pleasure. Appreciate, Appreciate it, Colonel. Thank you for coming. Yes, sir, thank you. We're stepping aside for a break right here on middays. We're coming right back with more from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at the heart of Camp Shelby. Stay with us.
0: Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live today from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We're here for... Memorial Day, of course, and we welcome now to the Element Wealth Studios, Mayor Toby Barker, the mayor of Hattiesburg. Mayor, good to see you, sir. I think we just found you out in the hall. Said come on on and talk to
4: Uh, us. They did, but I'm (laughs) glad to talk to you again.
3: Yes, sir. So, uh, first, this uh, facility here, not not too far south of uh, the
4: great... Hub City of Hattiesburg is fantastic. Isn't it? We have a great military community, and and the Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby, Mississippi's Armed Forces Museum, really is the cornerstone of that. Um, Camp Shelby's been over here over 100 100 years. It's 136,000 acres. People from all over the country, and and as we found today, all over the world, yeah, come and train here, and uh, and it's certainly a part of our community. Well, it's
3: unbelievable, and this museum, which showcases. Mississippians,
4: specifically, who uh, served America in the armed forces, is so well done. Tommy become... and, the, and the museum staff here did a great job of telling those stories. And, and it, it, it's not... Uh, static. It always changes. I remember when I was in the house, uh, Representative Mac Huddleston from Pontotoc came through here one day and saw a photograph of him flying his helicopter. And then the <laughs> the, the, the museum found out about that and it did a whole display out there of, of a model of his helicopter uh, to honor him. And, and we just uh, it, they really are always listening, always looking for ways to tell a Mississippi story. It's totally incredible, no doubt about it.
3: Um, so. We have got a lot of stuff going on in the state. It's election year. Any, any thoughts you wanted to share with us on that? Um,
4: well, any anytime you have state and local elections, uh, it, it, it always brings an interesting dynamic, particularly when you have party primaries in August <laughs> and uh, all, all the, the activity that goes along with that. But I think the state's headed in a really good direction right now and certainly with the, the accomplishments of this last legislative session, uh, excited for Lieutenant Governor Hosman's leadership and, and kind of what steps we'll take going forward
3: yeah that uh, seems to be what likely uh will be the most contentious primary i think uh certainly from a republican perspective is the race for lieutenant governor we'll see where all that lands primaries uh, after memorial day you feel like are really going to shift into high gear as we approach uh the august uh, primary election day and of course that's being overlaid with so much news in the national elections with uh, candidates for president announcing uh, this week as well and so we kind of have a, a double dose of politics right now for the next a couple of years. But talk about uh, your great city of Hattiesburg. How are things going there?
4: Well, I think when we start in the first week of March, it's, it's a dead sprint to, the, to Memorial Day <laughs> with all the activities going on, And whether it's you know, live at 5 or whether it's uh, the great athletic programs at Southern Miss and William Carey, both of whom are doing incredibly well in baseball right now. William Carey is at the AI World Series. Yep. Uh, Southern Miss is in the semifinals of the Sunbelt Tournament in Montgomery. And uh, we're just really grateful to have such a dynamic community with so much going on. And it really, to, to put an exclamation point on this sort of spring season is our Memorial Day ceremony that we're going to have this coming Monday at Veterans Park at 10 a.m. And, um, you know, Camp Shelby and Armed Forces Museum added this ceremony for Friday. And, and really, it's, it's a great end of the spring. Uh, and And I really hope that people in whatever community they're in will take time to find some sort of personal or collective reflection to really understand and give thanks for those uh, who did pay the full price, who did make the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talked not so long ago when we were down. Uh, how are you doing financially? How how are uh, tax diversions and revenues going? It's always something you got to pay attention
4: to. Uh, we we wait for the uh, number from the Department of Revenue every uh, <laughs> every fifteenth of the month, and uh, luckily Hattiesburg, I think, has set sales tax records twenty six of the last thirty one months. Wow! And. Um, along with that comes of course you know affordability and inflation especially when we bid things out uh, we opened a bid yesterday and it actually for the first time came in under bid for the <laughs> for the first time in a couple of years um, but it really is a, a great time to be here there's so much going on with downtown we uh, are one of our main retailers uh, the lucky rabbit opened their expansion last weekend and I know they attract folks from all over the state and all over the Gulf south and, and so um, economy is doing well in I look forward to what's coming next
3: yeah anything in particular? You'd like to see our state government address in the next session, where we're going to have uh, fruit basket turnover, so to speak, with uh, perhaps a, a new new government, Lot, lots of new reps, maybe new senators, lots of incumbents returning, but we start a new term. That's the main thing.
4: I, I think the one thing that the legislature is going to have to address going forward is is state retirement. Yeah, um, I we agree. we have. We, we can't continue to raise employer contributions. And if you ask any mayor, any board, any supervisor, on a county board, any superintendent, the biggest fiscal liability for us is the this employer contribution going from 17, uh, you know, over 17 percent to over potentially 22 percent, which is a, for us a 28 percent increase in our in our state retirement cost. Right. Uh, for Hattiesburg, it means 1.5 million with our current employee uh, load, and and for school districts and counties, it's just the same. And so there's going to be to be some hard decisions made, and I, and I think that we have a legislature that has the political will to do so.
3: I appreciate you bringing it up, Mayor, because I bring it up regularly on the program. The, the uh, candidates don't seem to want to talk about this not. issue. It's not a very popular issue. It's very thorny, very sensitive, very controversial, and there are no easy answers to it as well. Mayor, good to see you, sir. Thanks for stopping by
4: today. Hey, thanks a lot. And again, hope everyone finds a place to celebrate Memorial Day.
3: Yes, sir. You got it. We're stepping aside for a break right here on middays. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. When we come back, Colonel Lee Henry, the commander of Camp Shelby. Stay with us.
0: And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays live from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. We thank you so much for joining us. We're here because it is the long Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day, of course, observed in these United States this coming Monday. Please remember, as Mayor Barker said, to uh, reflect and think about those who paid the ultimate sacrifice to protect our way of life, our freedoms here in uh, this great nation. Joining us now, Colonel, Colonel Lee Henry, the commander of Camp Shelby Colonel Henry, good to see you, sir, and thanks for having us here today.
5: Gerard, thank you for having us on today. It's uh, such
3: an, an awesome facility here. Always got to, to uh, mention that with the guest while we're here at the Armed Forces Museum. This is a Mississippi gem, an asset for our state. It's fantastic, so well done. Um, it's so educational and informative. And I must say, sometimes, Colonel, when you walk through and you, and you take in some of those exhibits, you you get a little little choked up, a little emotional about it. I think any any human being would when you realize. Uh, what that reflects and what that represents
5: it, it is there there are so many who don't realize what a gym we have here in south mississippi uh with the mississippi armed forces museum uh we typically see over fifty thousand visitors a, a year and we're wow. we're wrapping that back up from our our post covid days and and we're glad to have we're glad to see that back on the incline and uh uh so uh, Director Tommy Lofton, he has multiple uh, youth groups and high school organizations, elementary schools here every single day of the year.
3: Yeah, and it's good that we get our young people in uh, to tour the museum to to really uh, take in our history, and in particular, Mississippi's participation uh, in the armed forces in Mississippi, in, in, that, in, in this country, and that's what this museum focuses on, and, it, and it's good that uh, they understand. So the, uh, uh, Colonel Prine said that Sometimes folks will come through and and they'll they'll recognize names from from uh, cities in Mississippi. They that, do. Uh, they they,
5: yeah. they often come with the intent of spending about an hour a side trip off of Highway 49, and and uh, I often hear that they wound up spending five, six, seven hours here going That's through the exhibits.
3: That's incredible. So talk about Camp Shelby now. This. Uh, this base has been around a while.
5: Since 1917. We've had the same core mission since uh, since that time, since pre-World War I. Um, we've been, that's to train troops to uh, send overseas into expeditionary environments. So what's uh, on the schedule with respect to training activities here at the camp? So we've got a lot going on this summer, Uh, Gerard. We are expecting over 30,000 people just this summer alone uh, for the entire year, somewhere between seventy and 72,000 trainees and war fighters that that will come through the gates of Camp Shelby. Um, Yesterday uh, we had a a fantastic send-off ceremony for the 1st of the 155th, Out of Macomb, uh, they're headed over to Fort Bliss, Texas, and then subsequently over to Kuwait. uh, Had somewhere around 4,000, approximately 4,000 family members and soldiers on post uh, to celebrate uh, their service and uh, to show our gratitude to their families and and to send them off well, and, and we did that talk about
3: the size of the camp and uh I think it it started out much larger than it is today right
5: so it did it it, it spanned from where we are today all the way to the Mississippi Gulf coast today uh Camp Shelby is comprised of over 138,000 acres Primarily in in Forest and South Perry County, uh, we also have somewhere around 1,500 acres, and down all the way into George County. So we cover about three counties, uh, and and again we are we are a not just national guard a lot of people say just national guard but um as you aware we are are multi-service yeah. uh, we have contingents from the air force navy marines uh... army and the coast guard not just multi-service we're multinational you saw the french soldiers that were here today that were participating yeah. uh... that that are here training that are uh... uh for some uh, special operations and uh, we also have uh, not only the french but we've, been, we've had uh, belgian uh, soldiers here within the last couple of weeks we've had british we've had uzbekistan hmm. uh, soldiers so we have had quite a large international contingent as well here training so, so colonel
3: do they come here uh, from abroad because of just capabilities and expertise and systems that that uh, the camp has, that the U.S. military has to train and prepare troops for their mission,
5: they do. So, Camp Shelby provides commanders uh, unique training capabilities, and we have a very widely arrayed uh, mm-hmm. capability to train uh, branches of all of, of these services and uh, and and uh, components. Um, of the military so they come here we provide commanders unique capabilities okay. uh, that you can't find anywhere else And we are a jointly accredited training site uh, which is huge in, jo- in, in drawing the other services and, and major exercises as well Talk about the uh, family day for the 155th again. That was just uh,
3: occurred this past Wednesday, right? What, what, it did. What does that consist of exactly?
5: So, so the family day uh, at the end of their training cycle, as they're about to get about to go out the door, uh, headed over to Kuwait. Yeah. Uh, it is something that their command element puts on uh, to bring the families in. We join the families and the soldiers back up after they complete their training, and right before they leave and go over to Fort Bliss to Fort Bliss to finish their post. Mobilization training. Um, so we were supported by a myriad of, of private organizations, to include uh, church and youth groups from across the Pine Belt and across South Mississippi. Uh, our USO. Uh, It's fantastic. Our USO here is an all-volunteer organization here on Camp Shelby, and they have actually the highest throughput of any USO in the southeastern United States. Wow! Um, So they put on a fantastic event, uh, gave them some time off to grill out and, and under the oak trees here and just have a good, relaxed day before they have to leave.
3: So it's my understanding over 3,000
5: in attendance? Uh, we, we, uh, we had over 2,500 come through the museum alone, so we're projecting wow. over 4,000 attended that event. That is awesome. Does it get emotional for the families? It does. Uh, I, I can tell you that that's probably one of the most emotional times in the, in the uh, period of an entire family's life. Sure. A, uh, a year is a long time yeah Uh, so so that's the last time that they'll be with their soldiers they went on pass uh for a couple of days and when they return uh, they'll be gone somewhere between nine months to a year so that's a long time and and you miss a lot in family's life that's a good point
3: because we we often of course and we should think about uh the individual who's serving uh, in the armed forces, the military, but
5: really the entire family serving when you think about it absolutely so it is uh it takes a lot out of a family and uh it, our our spouses, especially our children, who are the ones who who suffer the most in in our absence uh they they keep everything going while we're gone, and they do a phenomenal job and we try to recognize them anytime we can and in fact, uh, when we unfortunately lose a member. Um, of the uh, Of the armed forces, as you saw today, was the gold star families yep. that we had in attendance today at our ceremony they 're the ones who suffer the greatest loss for our nation and uh... take on that responsibility
3: so recently also the armed forces museum uh... here at camp shelby hosted an event honoring vietnam veterans from our state talk about that we
5: did what an amazing event that uh... director tommy lofton coordinated uh... in honor of their service and obviously the vietnam veterans were some of the most under-recognized and underappreciated members of the armed forces so, Absolutely. so we had over two thousand people on post that day and we honored well over three hundred and twenty five Vietnam veterans for their service and a thank you with a with a a, a large event here to include a uh rotary wing flyover by the Mississippi National Guard.
3: Such a difficult time in American history and and most of those veterans that are still with us they're in their 70s right?
5: They are they are we saw a large contingent of them here today and uh, it's great to have them out here uh, on Camp Shelby where we with the Mississippi National Guard can uh, play just a a small part in honoring their service that we didn't so many years ago back in the 60s and 70s. It seems like
3: to me just observing anecdotally Colonel that the way in which unfortunately they were received when they when they came home it wasn't the sort of fanfare and, and celebration that we had in prior wars world war ii in particular that, that that's created sort of a special bond among vietnam veterans
5: absolutely it has created a special bond among vietnam veterans but not only vietnam veterans Our our soldiers and airmen and Marines who have gone downrange now in the last 10 to 15 years understand how important those send-offs and how important coming back home to a country that appreciates what they did is. And, and we have no problem getting volunteers from those who are presently serving awesome. uh, to help us honor those uh, their service from the Vietnam era. We
3: have to. They serve their country. They answer the call when, they, when, they, uh, when their government called on them and that's the people and they did what they were told to do simple as that and uh, we should remember and honor them and i've always had a soft spot in my heart with for them the vietnam vets because it was when i was a child and i was talking about that earlier just watching that unfold on television every night and my, my brother also served in the air force uh during that time period but colonel Appreciate all you guys do here at Camp Shelby, and thank you, sir, and all the uh, men and women in our armed forces for their service, and especially those who pay the ul- ultimate
5: sacrifice, uh, as
3: we you. remember on Memorial Day. Thank you. Day. It's, thank a, you. It's,
5: it's an honor to serve, and it's an honor to be here with you today. Thank you for coming Appreciate
3: down. it. Yep. Colonel Lee Henry, the commander at Camp Shelby, has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming up later in the program, Tommy Lofton, the director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We're coming right back.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. The rolling hit it. Go play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. <laughs> on Super Talk, Mississippi. <laughs>
3: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. And joining us now is Dr. Andrew Wiest, a USM history professor and guest speaker for the Memorial Day ceremonies here today at the Armed Forces Museum. Dr. Wiest, thanks for joining us on Middays.
6: Oh, thank you, and uh, thanks for leading in with KISS, too. They were always my favorite (laughs) band growing up.
3: Okay, so I read in your bio that uh, you're a drummer, so we're we're kindred spirits in that respect. And uh, on your USM bio, it describes you as sings badly. Yes.
6: Really? You sing badly? All drummers sing badly. (laughs) right. Except for Levon Helms and Don Henley.
3: (laughs) That's true. Uh, Well, I'm a big Journey fan, so Dean Costranovo is actually a pretty good vocalist as well. True. uh, Now uh, playing the drums in Journey. So in the band, the Mississippi Tornadoes. Yes, sir. What kind of music do you play?
6: Uh, It'd be good old throwback rock and roll and blues. Okay, awesome. I bet you don't sing badly.
3: Uh, I'm not buying that. I'll try to keep up. (laughs) You must play the drums well because it says plays the drums and sings badly. So I'm assuming that means you play the drums well. <laughs> That's awesome. But we are glad to have you. So Thank you. what was the message uh, during the ceremony this
6: morning? Um, my message was because I, I am blessed to teach about military history and to write about it as well. And for those people who read and consume the history of war, whether they see it in a documentary or read it in a book, It's so easy to get swept up in the majesty of some of these world-shaking events. And to try to humanize that and bring it down to the individual level. Um, These were 19-year-old men and women, 20-year-old men and women. And in the case of Memorial Day, we're talking about men and women who never returned from those foreign fields. And to... To try to make their lives make some kind of sense. Um, uh, In the books I've written and am writing, I've had to tell the stories of many young men who did not return from war. And to, to get to their story, since they can't tell it themselves, you have to interview their family members. And that's when it dawned on me that Memorial Day isn't a cross, it's not a Monday. On a Sunday day with a barbecue, Memorial Day, for many families, is every day. Uh, the the loved one they sent overseas didn't come back, and they have to wrestle with that every day.
3: Yeah. You've written 17 books. Yes. So what inspired you, Dr. Weiss, to, to start, I guess, researching and writing about
6: war in America? When I was young, I, I, I mentioned I, I liked the band KISS. But the other thing I did, there were different classes of people in high school. There were the football players yeah. and, and uh, the, the the band nerds and stuff. I was a different kind of nerd. I was a, <laughs> a military history nerd. I, I read books about war. War just fascinated me because history is hard to understand, but war seemed to show you those moments, whether it's MacArthur in the Philippines or Napoleon at Austerlitz, where everything hung in the balance just in that moment, and that was so attractive to me that I wanted to learn more about war and how, that, and how it functioned, and as I began to write more and more about war, it, it dawned on me that the, the thing we're not talking about is the 19-year-old humans uh, who were doing it, yeah. um, that war needed to be humanized, or actually, war can be too interesting, war can be too fun to read about, we need to remember what it does to people yeah and you've written a lot about um
3: vietnam yes and uh one book in particular a bestseller uh, the boys of
6: 67 yes um in teaching about the, the 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 vietnam war the the first you have a course that you teach sure, on did. It, right? sure yeah did. i saw that that's
3: that's incredible I, I didn't even know such existed in the in the college environment a course Specifically on Vietnam, the Vietnam War.
6: Right. When I was a, a student, nobody taught the Vietnam War. So what I studied was World War I because yeah. everybody studied World War II. So I I didn't gravitate that way. And when I started teaching at USM, it dawned on me that nobody was teaching about Vietnam. So I volunteered to do it. And it's a war that I remember on television. I, I wasn't old enough for it, but my, my sister's friends were, were old enough for it. And I only understood Vietnam the, the way you see it on television, an overly politicized event that people like to argue about. And then when I began to teach my Vietnam War class, it dawned on me that unlike my World War I class, I could have veterans come in and tell me what it was really like. And yeah. When I got to know those veterans, it kind of dawned on me that in the huge discussions about the Vietnam War, nobody was talking about these humans these people who were civilians one day drafted the next and went off and did the toughest job the country ever had to offer anybody and so that's why i wanted to write specifically about those guys because if you're on one side of the fence the vietnam veterans are bad guys if you're on the other side of the fence they're untouchable but what are they really they're really scared nineteen-year-olds who'd much rather be at home listening to the beatles but they didn't have that didn't have that luxury so I wanted to write about their humanity
3: and 55,000 right didn't make it back
6: yes uh, of the unit I write about um, they went to war with a hundred and sixty men uh, twenty-six of them were killed and a hundred and five were wounded so that pretty much everybody was killed or wounded in the year that they were there unbelievable so how did you do the research for that um, I went to the veterans themselves it's 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 pretty easy to write a book about again how robert e lee probably shouldn't have done the frontal assault at gettysburg it would have been better to circle around behind them perhaps those kinds of things are kind of easy to write about the documents there that it's, yeah. it's, it's easy to go find them if you're writing about the soul of warfare you have to go to the veterans themselves so of those surviving veterans uh, of that unit i interviewed 70 of them and about 30 uh, other family members as well because that's the only way you're going to find out what really happened is talk to the Talk to the fellows who did it. Will they talk about it openly? Will they it, get
3: into the, the details?
6: It, it took a second. I had formed a very close relationship with one of the veterans in the unit who came to speak to my class. because and, and These guys are very suspicious of... Sure. you got to remember, college kids spit on them when they came sure. home. So they're, they're suspicious of college Called kids. them baby that, killers sure. and all that stuff so they had a healthy suspicion of me but i started going to their reunions i started buying my drinks that's always a smart thing to do at a (laughs) reunion and kind of got them to to warm up and then they adopted me as part of the family once once i proved to them i wasn't out to historically harm them sure that i was out to historically rescue them then it became clear that that they were once you got past that first talk they were, it was an avalanche these guys hadn't talked about their war experience in 30 years and to finally find somebody who cared about it once the dam broke it just flooded get emotional? very uh, have to because again these guys were the, the way the I like to put it about the Vietnam generation th- these guys did as difficult a thing as any American veteran has ever done but every other American veteran had been Welcome home with a pat on the back. Right. The way my uh, closest veteran friend John Young said was that we went off and we went off and sinned in the name of our nation, killing one of the top ten things you're not supposed to do. And they had gone off and done it. And he said every other generation, when they got home, had been absolved of their sins, had been given a national baptism. the, mm-hmm. the Vietnam generation had never had that. So when it became apparent that they were unable to they that they were able to unburden themselves after 30 years it it again was a torrent of emotion on their part what's the reaction in the
3: classroom when you're teaching about vietnam to obviously to kids that
6: that weren't around then wow um it's to them it's ancient history yeah to 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 folks with gray hair it's it seems like a current event but we are so far from the Vietnam War now that students just don't get it. I was closer in age to World War II than these kids are in age. My freshmen were not were not born yet when the Twin Towers went down. So to to these to these students, Vietnam is probably a something their history class never got to, because yeah, um, and and B, it's it's so old they can't understand it. Unbelievable. So the reaction is mystification on their part, but when they hear from the humans who were there doing it, that carries a universal element that all students can get. Because, well, thank again, you for these writing about were
3: their it. Age. Yeah, exactly. It, at the time, it, thank you for writing about it and keeping the memory alive. I, I like you. Grew up in the era. I saw it unfold on television. It's just surreal now that that was actually happening, and we were watching that first war ever, right, to be so yes. so called televised. And you get—I talked about it earlier. You get the KIA and the MIA counts every single day, and you only had three thirty-minute news um, broadcasts. That was it. That's, That's it. how you got your news, but. Appreciate it, Dr. Wiest. I really, well, so I really enjoy talking to you, and, and thanks again for your work uh, to highlight uh, what happened in our military history. Thank well, thanks you for so having it. me. It's an honor. You got it. Dr. Andrew Weist, USM history professor, guest speaker today for the Memorial Day ceremony at the Armed Forces Museum. has been our guest. We're stepping aside for a break. Tommy Lofton, the director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, next.
7: Everybody
0: ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbard on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live today from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. It's Memorial Day. Coming up in a couple of days. We hope you have a great, enjoyable weekend. But please remember to honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our freedoms. That's what we do on Memorial Day. We take a little time off. And, and uh, like the colonel said earlier, it's more than just barbecues. It's time that mm. we... Uh, respect and remember those who have paid it all for our freedoms. When joining us now, Tommy Lofton, Director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Tommy, good to see you again, sir, and great to be here. It's uh, just a fantastic facility. You guys do a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Of, Thank you. Um, telling the story of Mississippians who have served in our armed forces. That's what this museum's all about.
7: And it's easy to do because Mississippi has such a rich heritage of military service and we have so many people uh... to be proud of and thankful for and so it's actually uh... the hardest parts just trying to figure out how to to Put things on display and choose when and where, and and uh, you know you can't put everything out all the time. So that's that's one of the hardest decisions you have to make. But uh, we do our best to honor anyone and everyone we can that's worn the uniform. But then especially those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice from Mississippi. So uh, yeah, it's an honor to have y'all here today, and and glad to have you back.
3: So do you think uh, just to catch on that point that it's because Mississippians in general. Are patriotic, love their country, and understand when they're called to serve uh, the the solemnity of that duty. Sure,
7: I think if you look back to even before we were a state, uh, in a incorporated sense, you know Mississippians were lining up to go down to New Orleans and fight with Andrew Jackson and yeah. keep the British at bay. And yeah. you know we've got uh, obviously quite a bit of of history on on uh, multiple fronts and and multiple armies, if you will, and things. Uh, But yeah, I think as Mississippians, we're quite proud of of our state, of our people, and it is uh, important for us to to be sure to take part in anything and everything that we can do to preserve our freedom and defend our state and our country. Uh, and I think that, that, again, we've got a lot more to be proud of than sometimes we realize. Absolutely. And maybe that more to be proud of than others appreciate, uh, maybe Absolutely. from
3: outside Mississippi. I so. think that's right. So Memorial Day, of course, always uh, big around here at the Armed Forces Museum. What, what about the ceremonies today? Sure. Tell us about so, that.
7: So uh, you know, every Friday going into Memorial Day weekend, we try to have a ceremony to set the tone for the weekend and remind folks what Memorial Day is actually about, which is to honor the fallen. Uh, This year, we actually, on the heels of the Vietnam event we had a few weeks ago here, uh, we picked a Vietnam uh, soldier who was killed in action. He was from Jackson, named Specialist Four Joe Henry Brown. And uh, Specialist Brown left behind a uh, beautiful wife and, and little girl. Went over to serve in Vietnam and had been over a few months in country uh, when he was killed in February 1968 in a pretty horrific battle um, with the Viet Cong. They estimated Mm -hmm. we had about 200 soldiers uh, holding that uh, forward base there in the Mekong Delta area, uh, about 40 miles outside of uh, southwest of Saigon. He um, operated a machine gun there. Was was uh, uh, of course. Killed in action defending that base. Uh, 200 soldiers were overrun by 500 Viet Cong, uh, or almost overrun, I should say. But they actually pushed them back and uh, did such a great job in defending that site. Where There were four artillery pieces there that there were no further attacks. I think the Vietnamese had pretty much given up after that. They'd thrown everything they could right there at that position. And those 155 batteries had been opening up on them and just, you know, giving them massive casualties up to that point. So uh, they made every effort to try to capture those guns and and either use them against us or to steal them, actually. Uh, And in defending that site, he actually uh, heroically... Uh, gave of his life and actually earned posthumously a silver star for his actions there. Yeah. So we actually have his medals and a photograph of him here on display. We found that his mm. widow uh, passed away in 2012. He and his wife are both buried there in Jackson. Mm. Have not been able to find his daughter yet, but we're still trying. Um hopeful that she's maybe listening or finds out about this. But we did move forward with honoring her father today. And uh, he is a hero, and he's one of our favorite heroes here in the museum. Wow.
3: You know, the World War II vets are, are, of course, aging out. Not many of of, of those heroes uh, remaining with us, uh, but still, of course, a, a large contingent of Vietnam vets. Do do you see that they'll come to the museum and tour it? And if so, what sort of reaction?
7: You know, it's. I was actually talking about this the other day, and it is sad. We've lost so many of our World War II yeah. veterans. You know, we had 16.5 million men and women that served in World War II. Wow. I think we're at probably about 100 and maybe if we're lucky hundred twenty thousand still left in the country wow. uh... same is true for korea we don't even have a medal of honor recipient from world war two korea anymore they're all gone so mm. and vietnam are fading fast as well especially mm. when you consider what all they were exposed to with agent orange yeah. and so many other things but it's, you know it's interesting uh... you see world war two veterans coming through here many years ago and and going through with their family members and telling sometimes for the first time about their experience you see that now with Vietnam. I've come through the exhibits several times and had Vietnam veterans standing there, and it's very clear. You can read the faces in the room or of their family members that they don't normally talk about this, and as soon as they cross through that doorway and they see the Huey helicopter and the mannequins and the artifacts and all of that, it brings some of them back, and, and it's fascinating to kind of walk through and meet those individuals or have them share their stories or you know even turn over artifacts, stuff they've stowed away in an attic and didn't think anybody cared about that's what we're building our vietnam exhibits on and things so
6: um
7: you know it's i'm glad that they're finally opening up and it's important that we continue to tell their story obviously it was not an easy war but uh they did what they were called to do and, and they weren't necessarily received in the best way when they came home yeah um you know the other day we had probably one of our only surviving pows from vietnam thomas collins right here in the exhibits and for the first time as i understood it that was he donated his artifacts years ago but he'd never actually seen them until he was here the other day. Wow. And it was fascinating to sit there and talk to him about it, see the grin on his face, and, and uh, share that moment with his granddaughter standing there and wow. his caregiver and folks. And know, soldiers were crowding around and realizing who he is and why this is an important moment. And I thought, you know, this is beautiful. This is, this is unique. This is something that we can continue to share. And it's sadly something that's going away rapidly right now yeah. as we're losing more and more of our Vietnam veterans and, and veterans from other wars.
3: Well, I think it's good that they feel comfortable in an environment, in a setting like this, where they're willing to talk about it. Because they're, they're walking history books.
7: That's exactly right. And if, if they don't talk about it, there's so much history that's going to be lost. Yeah. And so, you know, we do our best to try to make them feel comfortable, feel, uh, all of our veterans feel honored and respected. And, uh, you know, we want them to feel just as at home in this museum uh, as they do in their own home sure Uh, this museum is the state's official museum for military history and we want them to feel that we do as a state respect their service respect their sacrifice or their their friends that literally sacrificed of themselves or family members and so it's it's a huge honor for us to have folks come through here and also to have folks recognize you know hey this guy was in my high school class or um you know, folks come through the the GWAT exhibits even, and you know we had a group here from Christ Covenant a few weeks yeah. ago touring yeah. the museum, and a few of the little girls looked up at Casey Casanova's case and was like, "Oh, there's a girl Marine," you know, and we're fascinated yeah. by her, yeah. and then fascinated to hear of her sacrifice yeah. uh, in May of 2008 and how right. you know, she gave her life for Talked her, state to her mother country. Before. So that's right, you have so um, it's that's also been the neat thing for me seeing all the young folks come through here. We've had. Just as many, if not more, I think we actually have had more school groups now than we did even before COVID this year, That's which is awesome. phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and so many young people coming through with such an eager interest to learn more. You know, sure, they get exposure in video games, other things too, but sure. uh, you actually have teachers out there, thankfully, in our state who recognize the need and the importance to continue to teach history. So much so, they're turning their classrooms into World War I trenches or foxholes and wow. other things when they teach history lessons. And it resonates with the kids so much more. Uh, and they appreciate so much more of what they're learning about and the stories of the men and women in Mississippi. Who have served and worn the uniform are those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice.
3: Well, imagine talking about Vietnam and Huey helicopters, the, the icon of Vietnam, <laughs> and then coming here and seeing one right. in the museum, right? That's exactly in the exhibit.
7: Right. And there were several uh, of those kids just like, you know, hey, my, my uncle or my grandfather or whatever, uh, or great grandfather even served in, in Vietnam and yeah. flew one of these or was wounded and taken off the battlefield in one of these. And yeah. so that's uh, always an iconic thing. Obviously for the veterans, but also for the young people. Yeah, And, uh, you know, that's that's why we do what we do, and, and we're here. Uh, so no doubt about it. We hope that folks will take the time to, you know, if you're not doing anything for Memorial Day and you're looking for something to do or something to... Bring a sense of patriotism into your family for the holiday. We'll actually be open that day, uh, nine to Memorial Day. Uh, So our our normal hours are Tuesday through Saturday from nine to four, and we're free. But we're actually open on patriotic holidays: Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day. So if you're not doing anything,
3: come see us. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk again uh, later on in the program, and we'll get you to talk about uh, how one uh, gains access to come to to the museum and what that's all about, and uh, also want to find out from you what's on the horizon because I know you guys are always planning yeah. new stuff as well.
7: Fred Shanks right. was asking me that last night. So shout out <laughs> to Fred
3: Shanks. Fred Shanks. <laughs> we got you there, buddy. We're taking a break right here. Appreciate it, Tom. We'll Thank talk you. to you in a minute. We'll so. see you again. Yep. We're coming right back with more here from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. Stay with us.
0: Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Middays live uh, from the Armed Forces Museum. Features some Mississippians who served in America's military here at Camp Shelby. Okay, Rhino, every time I hear that song, I can't help but think about Silence of the Lamps. Okay. <laughs> You seem to be confused. Well, no, I mean, mean I can I
2: get it. It's just not the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that song. <laughs>
3: okay. Well, that's all right. Uh, Jeff in Hattiesburg on the Ceasefire Text Line says my grandfather will be one oh one next Tuesday. He was in World War Two and seems to enjoy talking about it more now than ever before. Appreciate you sharing that, Jeff, and I'm I'm glad to hear that and. You know, who knows? It it would uh, uh, be be imprudent for us to try to second-guess when someone is comfortable or even uh, force them into talking about something like that. They've got to do it on their own terms and their own time. And that's that's what I found with my father-in-law when Julie and I started dating. And uh, he served in World War II and uh, was part of the squadron that sank the unsinkable Yamato, earned the distinguished flying cross for doing so, turned down the Medal of Honor because they didn't want to award it to the entire squadron. And I wanted so desperately to find out about that, just being kind of a junkie of military history. And my wife said, uh, my girlfriend at the time, he's not going to talk about it. And I said, well, just give me a chance, give me a chance. And I, I think I... I Got to a point where he trusted me, and he knew that that uh, I was genuinely interested and and uh, had some understanding of of the the war, the conflict, the battle, that incident. And at that point, he decided to talk about it, and it was just like an unpouring of of uh, reams of history. It was just incredible from someone who was there firsthand. Unbelievable. Uh, Purple Hearts decorated veteran expert marksmanship. Oh, sorry. add ad mix from Brandon, Mississippi. I see now. I got to go above a bit, a little bit. Remembering my granddaddy, U.S. Army Master Sergeant, born in 1899 to 1963 on Memorial Day. Served in World War One and World War Two. Had eight eighth grade education, but earned a Ph.D. in survival. Purple Hearts decorated veteran expert marksman. Rest in peace. Appreciate that. Uh, Also, Rhino plays some 1960s Vietnam-era music, says James in Oxford. You could probably dig up some of that. How about um, the Kent State song, the song that discusses that, that features that? We can play that one. Uh, Hello, Clarice. That's the first thing that I think of. (laughs) Of course. Forrest Gump. Vietnam, yeah, that uh, was certainly featured in the movie. Kind of brought it back to life, I would say, to some extent. It was pretty cool. The blonde-headed chick in the gray car. Yeah, exactly, Thomas and Greenwood says. That's what um, the American Girl song reminds us of. But it wasn't a blonde-headed chick, right? Oh, yeah, it was a blonde-headed chick. She was listening to it, but it was the, the bad guy that uh, was trying to, Trying to starve her so he could harvest her skin (laughs) to turn him himself in. That's kind of an appropriate movie for today's craziness going on, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's more than just transition surgery. That's like changing your shell is what that fool was trying to do. What a great movie. The... Uh, lots of woke stuff going on I wanted to get to today. hadn't talked about that in a while. The university, of course, ground zero for everything going on crazy in the woke world are America's college campuses, unfortunately. The University of Minnesota has removed a language excluding white students from a program. So they've got a, a, uh, a summer research program coming up this summer. And they produced a, a flyer, a, a, uh, just a sheet, one sheet, cut sheet, information sheet of the program. And originally, the, uh, this sheet comes up, and it says that eligibility requirements you must identify as a student of color or Native American to even apply and be considered into this summer research program well some folks complained about it and so now they've scrubbed that there was a there was a civil rights complaint and it received some national press coverage how about that so i would say justice was served there how could you not construe that as blatant overt discrimination of course it is I mean it says it right there don't apply here unless you are identify as a black person or Native American unbelievable it is unclear if that means the discrimination will continue undercover or someone just failed to update that section says Cornell Law School professor William Jacobson speaking of Cornell we got some news on the medical school and how they are conducting affairs there can we just practice medicine it's time for a break here on middays. we're at the armed forces museum at camp shelby we're coming right back
0: welcome to the show that challenges you to to think deeply and look beyond political posturing
3: It's midday, live from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We thank you so much for joining us on this. Friday, y'all. So, Cornell, the medical school, just another example of the March to Mediocrity that is occurring. Cornell University Medical School offers free anti-racism course to teach white students how to be better, quote, allies. And says they should be more willing to apologize. And the uh, there's a five-hour virtual training course. It includes a series of exercises designed to help folks learn to be better allies in the, quote, fight against racism. This course was developed in 2020, instigated by the death of George Floyd in May of 2020. It also includes a series of instructions on how to apologize for old Facebook posts that now come off as offensive. So I'm looking at one of the exercises, and it reads, Consider this scenario. Twenty years ago, when you were 17, you made a Facebook post saying you wanted to obtain welfare for your dogs because they are quote mixed in color, unemployed, lazy, can't speak English, and have no friggin' clue who their daddies are. Daddies capitalized, of course. This post has resurfaced and a coworker has brought it up with HR. You are sure you do not find this funny or appropriate now. So you, multiple choice, take the post down without saying anything, apologize and explain that this is not who you are now and that you will take some steps to educate yourself further. Explain to HR that it's what everyone did back then. Or, move on with your life silently because you know in your heart that you meant no harm. (laughs) We're actually training people on this sort of stuff. Wait, I thought the idea was to learn how to work on the human body. (laughs) And treat illness and disease and cure it and so forth. I thought that was the idea. I reckon not anymore. That's very secondary the goal of the course is to provide anyone who wants to learn to be a better ally with essential skills and tools they can use in, the personal, in their personal and professional lives. <laughs> Originally, the course was meant for, quote, white allies only, uh, a co-director of the center said, but students of color expressed interest in the course and the role white allies should be playing to address racial discrimination. Wow. I, I'm not really sure of the significance to one's medical training of this course. I I've always find it interesting that we like have to teach people not to be racist. Shouldn't that be something you learn long before you ever get to medical school? you got to go to medical school? I would question whether or not you're qualified to be a medical doctor or a healthcare care physician, uh, a professional I should say, if you've got to go through an anti-racist course. This is virtue signaling in its, at its finest in my view, and I, I just I fail to see the value of it. Oh, gosh. Also, the University of Massachusetts, more from the wokeness going on on college campuses, University of Massachusetts at Amherst in the Bay State paid $677,000 to stockpile abortion drugs. Now, this was a contract between the university In a drug provider. And this was. In response to a request. Made by the Democratic governor. Mara Healy. Governor Healy. Asked the university to do so. Because she feared. That a federal court. Might block. You remember this. We talked about it on the show. Not so long ago. The drug. Mifepristone. And may not. May not allow it to be sold anymore. And that, of course, is the day after abortion pill. So, University of Mass at Amherst goes out and spends $677,000 on abortion pills. Wow. Marty Meehan, president of the University of Massachusetts system, said the decision was, quote, student motivated. Incredible. So crazy stuff every day we learn about on college campuses. And it uh, it needs to be exposed. As does this next one about the Los Angeles Dodgers. You've seen this rhino thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the drag, the satirical drag group. The uh, what's what's their name? I can't remember their name exactly. I'm looking for it. But they were first they were invited. Then they were uninvited. Then they were invited back to come perform the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. That's it. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They describe themselves as a charity and drag group calling attention to LGBTQIA plus issues. Not only were they invited to Pride Night Dodgers Pride Night. Can not we just play baseball? The franchise originally planned to honor the group with its Community Heroes Award. Now folks, these are drag queens that dress up like nuns, and of course they've got the more extravagant uh, nun uh, attire, Uh, look like the, yeah, the habit, right? Look like the flying, flying nuns, thank you for reminding me that. How could I forget that after being taught by nuns for 12 years? Um, but it's crazy that they go to this pride night, and they are dressed in. It's a bit of a flamboyant habit, though, when you say rhino. it's kind of resembles it, but they, it looks like they've embellished it a bit as well.
2: Yeah, it's a caricature.
3: Yeah, for the, for the uh, sizzle effect of it. Conservative Catholics, I would be one of those, have called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence a hate group. And a local diocese called the group's behaviors demeaning and disrespectful to the sisters of the Catholic Church. But yet the Dodgers, of course, got to pay their woke premiums to make sure they got their woke insurance in effect. They, They are defending the move. Now, is it true that I see that, what's the guy that worked in the Biden administration that steals luggage all over the place? Sam was in his name yeah I think he's part of this group now he's participating in this you know what I'm talking about worked with yeah like Sam Dick. Brenton the bald dude Brenton, with Brenton. lipstick Brenton. yeah with all the so, stolen outfits if you've seen that now though he's he's playing this this caricature satiric uh satirical role as well yeah he's also
2: that? going to a men's prison no matter how much lipstick he puts on
3: <laughs> well, he, he committed a, a crime. I mean, he needs to go to prison. He committed theft. And I think it rises to the level of putting him away. Also, do you have any North Face clothing?
2: No. I had a backpack well, at one point in time, but that that stuff's out of my price range.
3: <laughs> it is rather pricey. Well, they too have told Bud Light, uh, no pun intended here, to hold my beer. In the case of Bud Light, they're holding on to all of it. They're they're struggling with that. And I hate that because there's a whole lot of good people downstream from the company involved in the distribution and the retail sale of the product. And unfortunately, the manufacturer made a bad move that's affecting good people who just want to make a living distributing and selling beer. But in the case of the North Face, they have hired, of course, the obligatory transgender spokesperson, Patagonia is her name. (laughs) Have you seen this, Rhino, the the video of that? Oh, yeah. I think I I may have sent it to you. Maybe we can play that when we come back uh, later on in the program. Next up, though, is Tommy Lofton, the director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Had to share a little fodder with you on this Friday, of course. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby.
1: program.
0: Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news.
6: Huge. You need to listen to this.
0: Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Middays from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. It is the Friday before the long Memorial Day weekend. We welcome back to the program Tommy Lofton, the Executive Director for the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We appreciate you, uh, of course, for having us down again. Uh, Tommy, what a fantastic facility this is. And you, you had ceremonies this morning.
7: Yeah, we, we had... a. Uh Quite the turnout. We're quite pleased with uh, the crowd that we had. It's been uh, pretty busy with ceremonies and other things around Camp Shelby lately, so we were a little nervous this morning. But uh, heck, we even had a group of the French show up, so uh, Saw that. Uh, French soldiers and everything. So you know, it, it, it's a great day at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum.
3: <laughs> what did they say about being here in Mississippi and at Camp Shelby, and of course this fabulous museum?
7: I didn't get to talk to them long, but they uh, seemed impressed with what we have. They actually went through the exhibits, uh, and I think we're uh, moved from what I could see and what we do to honor. And of course, they do a great Job honoring yeah. our fallen in sure. places like Normandy sure. uh, and other places within their country. From from our perspective, uh, you know, I, I think some of the cemeteries that we have over there and, and partner with the French on are, are some of the most beautiful and sacred places on this earth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was an honor to have them uh, surprise us with with being here and showing support uh, to their allies as well.
3: So, this kind of kicks off the summer season. uh, What's on tap here at the Armed Forces Museum? So, uh,
7: we are uh, doing a few things. We've been making some improvements on some of our exhibits. Uh, We're actually getting a new roof right now. So, as they've had Mm. to work in certain sections, we have to close off certain exhibits uh, so that material and debris aren't falling on our visitors. But uh, as we shut those areas down, we've been starting this process. But this summer, we're actually working on uh, revamping and redoing some of our World War II exhibits. Mm -hmm. Adding to more on the home front and the contributions that Mississippi and Mississippians made in preparing for World War II and then also sustaining uh, scrap drives and other donations and things like that, plus getting into uh, draft and volunteerism during World War II. So we'll we'll have some improvements there, improvements coming on uh, various aspects of our exhibits, artifacts from the 442nd coming out, uh, some new things on uh, the Pacific War itself especially, hmm and uh, do some more with uh, the Holocaust, and we've actually got a few, a German Nebelwerfer, a rocket launcher if you will, or Hmm. some sort of an artillery piece in a sense from World War II that is quite unique, we're in the process of restoring and putting that out on display, Uh, that'll be probably more like this fall. And I'm actually uh, in a process right now of redoing and uh, revamping our Civil War exhibits to add some more artifacts from Vicksburg Hmm. and from Corinth and Champion Hill and a number of our battles. Uh, But interestingly enough, uh, artifacts not just from the Confederacy, but also... Mm. Union veterans that fought for the state of Mississippi, uh, to include a musket that we just got in a couple of weeks ago that we've identified to the Battle of uh, Vicksburg at Milliken's Bend that Mm. belonged to a member of the 11th Louisiana Colored Troops. Mm. So uh, a former slave came across the river, was briefly trained, Mm. uh, put a uniform on. Uh, grabbed this weapon and went in and fought at Vicksburg. And he Not actually took on the buttstock of this musket, carved his initials and his unit information. Wow! And so uh, we'll be putting that on display in the near future as well. Uh, quite a unique piece. Um, and, and some other uh, artifacts that will be, I think, pretty interesting. With How do civilians. you come
3: across um, all this incredible uh, uh, items? This do, you, do, you, do you go around and uh, try to research, find out, and then try to f- Figure out a way to contact individuals associated with it? Or do you have people that come forward and say, look, I'd like for you guys to have it? Or, or a little of both? Yes, probably. to everything. Yeah, okay,
7: uh, we do right. have we have donors that come forward. You know, Some of it folks saying, look, I have a family member who collected these things, or yeah. this belonged to them when they were in the service, or, or whatever. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of things arrive to us after a veteran has passed away, and yeah. maybe their spouse or family member says, look, this was in a closet. Don't know what to do with it, but I don't want to throw it away, thankfully. Um, uh, so we get artifacts that route. We are able, uh, thanks to our foundation, foundation board, you actually talked to our foundation president earlier, Mark yep. Klein, they've been very supportive in allowing us to occasionally purchase some artifacts, but also uh, any donations and things made financially to the museum we actually use to uh, refurbish and and build new exhibits and, and be able to bring these things forward. So, um, you know... We don't do a lot of purchasing, but a lot of what we do is, is just donations off the street, or as we find uh, you know, individuals who come through this museum, or they find out about us through yeah. Super Talk and other yeah. means, they reach out and say, Look, I've got
3: my dad's stuff from Vietnam yeah. or, or sure.
7: World War II, that kind of thing.
3: All right, so uh, talk about how uh, one can visit the museum. What's involved sure. with that? So uh, it is
7: not as uh, scary as some seem to think, <laughs> uh, as you've seen today. Yeah. Uh, you come through yeah. our south gate. There's a visitor center there. Walk inside, have your ID scanned. doesn't take very long. It's a pretty easy and painless process. It's harder yeah. to, uh, I say, it, harder to get on an airplane than it is to <laughs> <Well, no laughs> visit doubt. the museum. But yeah. have your ID scanned, go through the gate, uh, come here to the museum, and Feel free to, to venture through our exhibits, again, Tuesday through Saturday from 9 to 4, our regular hours. And we're free. You yeah. can't beat a free museum. Uh, and we encourage folks to to take some time, bring your family members, especially as we hit the summer and it starts to get hot. Uh, you know, we've been, the last few weeks especially, just inundated with school groups in here. So we've had a lot of people, I think, kind of staying away uh, just to let the, the buses pull through. But now's the time. Come yeah. on out and uh, and. Feel free to engage with our staff and and you know ask questions and if we don't know the answer we'll make up something that hopefully sounds good I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs>
3: But, I know uh, better than that. No, so, yeah. will you host school groups even during the summer? If, uh, if some districts are still on the semester system, and they're sure. maybe in session, but sure. a lot of them are out for the. We summer, do so. any, any
7: school groups that are uh, are still functioning in that yeah. way. We, we uh, encourage them to reach out to us, or we do have them come through. Uh, some university groups, some summer school programs. We also have a lot of uh, you know your your Boy Scout groups, Girl Scouts, Trail Life things like that that. Um, Want to come out to Camp Shelby sure. and, and maybe camp and go through the museum and do some some uh, interesting lessons on patriotism and other things. And so all summer long you see that. Plus you'll see folks, you know, if you have an RV and you're passing up and down Highway 49 or heading to the coast, coming back from the coast, whatever, come, come stop in and see
3: us. And you've got... Uh, the the camp Shelby itself. In addition to that, you have driving tour, we do. Hik- hiking, we do hiking tours.
7: Uh, there's so many things to do out here. In fact, even some of our archeolo- archaeologists and others out here have been working on uh, putting signage out in historic okay. places. So as you're on this driving tour or driving around Camp Shelby, you'll see a historic sign that shows you uh, as best we can show you. You know what a building used to look like that may have been yeah. there, uh, whether it was a recreation facility or the headquarters for uh, the Women's Army Corps program here. Those kinds of things. So, yeah. lots of uh, lots of history here that people I think don't realize that
3: they can see or that even still exists. No doubt about them. it. So, was it last year? I believe we had a uh, lot of folks here, like right, for training. We did. Is that every year? Or is that uh, it's on, an, or is it on an <laughs> interval? I can't remember exactly. But all the time. <laughs> I, mean, I know kind of, we, but the, the really time b- for sure. We'll see a lot of units having like, their at
7: period. Okay, uh, and then we have you know, uh, all kinds of other activities and operations and training things going on here uh, quite often. Uh, And a lot of soldiers come through from from various states and it's interesting to meet people from other states especially that come in and go, man, I didn't know Mississippi has done this much or, or, you know, we always had a different perspective or opinion of Mississippi back home and now, you know, I I kind of appreciate y'all more. So it's been great to... uh, to find other folks or uh, you know maybe recruit other Mississippians for the future, yeah. that kind of thing, but uh, you know Camp Shelby's a busy place there's always training going on and and uh, I think we have uh, a lot to be proud of with having Camp Shelby here in the state of Mississippi yeah uh, brings a lot more uh, revenue than people realize, and lots of jobs out here and uh, you know we're we're quite fortunate to have such a, a major infrastructure here for our nation and our state's defense as well.
3: No doubt about it. Do you do you sort of feel like that that um maybe the future of exhibits or, or new exhibits mm-hmm. may be uh, more involving uh, Vietnam just because they're starting to come forward more that it's sure. been a long period of course since the other wars in our history and, sure. and maybe that one's getting to the point where their folks are starting to open up about it and, and willing to discuss it and and perhaps make uh, some of their artifacts available.
7: I think you will see more of that for sure and Frankly, you know, uh, we have some plans to hopefully do some new and exciting things, maybe, okay. uh, maybe even build a new museum location. Okay. I'll go ahead and throw a I've little, heard that too. little uh, nugget <laughs> out there for folks that there are some exciting things in the works for the future of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. And as we look toward the future, our goal is to expand upon our exhibits. Since we opened over 20 years ago, uh, we've collected so many more artifacts, especially World War One through today. Yeah. And I think you'll see even more on Desert Storm, Desert Shield, sure. Iraq, Afghanistan. And our goals too are to do even more too with uh civil events within the state, whether it's, you know, dealing with uh the nineteen sixties with James Meredith yeah. or with hurricane response from the Mississippi National Guard, things like that. We've got a lot to be proud of in this in state.
3: Mis- the the point of course is that Mississippians have participated in all of those events. Exactly right. And that's exactly and that's right. what the museum does. It features all of those uh, instances you know, in our history and Mississippi's uh, participation in it. Tons of heroes
7: here. Uh, you know, the term heroes thrown around loosely out there, but if you want to see what real heroes are, They're in come here. to the
3: Mississippi Armed Forces No doubt about it. Tommy, good to talk to you as always. Appreciate it. Great job here at Thank the museum, you. and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, glad Appreciate to have you here. Thank you. You got it. We're coming right back with a half an hour remaining in uh, the afternoon portion of Middays. We're live at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. Stay with us.
0: Gerard Gibbert.
3: Welcome back everyone to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. That would be Mark Don and Mel of Grand Folk Railroad bumping us into this segment. Appreciate that, Rhino. We're an American band. Crosby from Inverness on the C Spire Text Line says, Mr. G, I served six years in the eighteenth Airborne Corps. Have a safe Memorial Day. That was in the early seventies, he said. When it all boils down, I guess I serve for Dumb? What does that mean, Crosby? Maybe I didn't, maybe that's not what you meant to say, but we appreciate your service, sir, and thanks for letting us know. Rich N. Biloxi says, with all this identification stuff going on, I should apply for those programs saying I identify as. Then they must respect my identification choice. Oh, yes, that's crazy, Rich, I know, it is crazy. But it is exactly what is going on in the country. And it's disturbing that uh, how one identifies seems to factor into so many decisions. And in this case, what we're talking about is the University of Minnesota that says that if you want to apply to be part of a summer research program, you have to identify... As a as a black or an indigenous uh, person, pretty much discriminating against white people. Now, only because Rhino they got exposed, did they change it. They still believe that, still want to do that, still want to put that into practice, and apply the the admissions accordingly. But they got called out on it. What a shame! So it makes you think about all the situations where we don't know that this kind of discrimination is happening. With respect to the markets, there's some breaking news, a bit of breaking news on the debt ceiling talks. The markets are up significantly at this time. The Dow Jones up 288. The NASDAQ up 272. That's uh, 2.4, 1.4%. And that is because it's being reported that we might get a deal this afternoon that um, what that looks like is starting to take shape now earlier, someone did text and ask who I thought had the um, let's see if I can find it, who I thought had the leverage in this negotiating deal. Somebody on the ceasefire tax line said that and and honestly, I don't know that any particular side has. Any sort of outsized leverage? I mean, the fact is, we're not going to get anything done unless all parties, it was Johnny and West Point, uh, all parties can agree. That's, that's just the, the way the sausage is made in Washington. And, of course, we've got a House bill that passed and a majority Republican-controlled uh, House, uh, Senate controlled by the Democrats, and the White House controlled by the Democrats. So they got to come together to get something done. And they are discussing, it is being reported, they they worked overnight, overnight, negotiators did. Quote, we worked through the night last night, I thought we made progress yesterday, I want to make progress again today, and I want to solve this problem, said Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He said that as he walked into the Capitol Friday. Now, most of the members of Congress, I think, have bolted out of the nation's capital and you get on the, the Capitol steps there earlier today, you get run over at people trying to get out of town. Fleeing uh, the center of democracy in this country. I was really a little bit surprised about that. I don't know how this will work with respect to getting the necessary votes. Maybe they expect to do that when they return next week. The president, of course, headed to Delaware for the weekend. And uh, some reporters questioned uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre yesterday about that, the White House press secretary. Why is the president leaving town when we got this debt ceiling debacle looming, especially when you consider the uh, doom and gloom, the fear-mongering we've heard from Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen. So they're focusing on a two-year spending deal, which would raise the debt ceiling, for the two-year period, extending it past the 2024 election. That's interesting. And they're working through the details of it. The, The big sticking point, the most controversial component of the talks has been the work requirements Republicans want to impose on Americans in exchange for receiving TANF payments. Also, SNAP, uh, food stamps, benefits, and then, of course, Medicaid coverage. Also up, of course, for discussion, rescinding some of the $80 billion that Congress approved in the Inflation Reduction Act to expand the ranks of the Internal Revenue Service. So they can go after those wealthy tax cheats. And at this point, it appears that the concession is 10 billion of the 80. Of course, this over a 10-year period, so it would be 8 billion additional to the IRS per year over that 10-year period. Looks like they've whittled that down to to 70 billion. That doesn't really sound like a a great deal in my view. But McCarthy just a. A little while ago, said that work requirements are still a major sticking point. He says, quote, the Democrats have never wanted to stop the amount of spending that they're doing. I do not think it's right that you borrow money from China to pay people to stay home who are able-bodied with no dependence on the couch. That is not the American way. He's right about that, except we don't borrow it from china we just print money and borrow it from ourselves but i get that's a popular thing to say if china only holds about a trillion of our 31 trillion of outstanding debt japan actually owns more of it than does china but i get the point there mr speaker and what's amazing is this simply raises the age From 50 to 55, that's all they're trying to do, is um, say that if you're – so presently, if you're under 50, you do have to be looking for work, providing some sort of public service to qualify for these benefits. They simply want to raise it to 55, (laughs) and that is objectionable to the – Uh, To the Democrats, I read also a report, just to show you how you get different takes on these policies, this report was uh, from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, which is a bit, if not substantially, significantly left-leaning, and they did an analysis of the House bill that passed that would raise the debt ceiling and also cut some f- forms of spending. And, and this is the way they couch it at the highest level. It puts more than 10 million people at risk of losing their health coverage. It puts roughly 1 million older people at risk of losing vital food assistance through SNAP. It puts roughly 1 million children at risk of losing income assistance, likely pushing many deeper into poverty. It forces cuts of $3.6 trillion over the next decade to the part of the budget that funds defense, veterans' health care, child care, medical research, schools, college aid, transportation, and more. It gives billions to tax cheats by cutting funding that ensures wealthy taxpayers pay their fair share. It extends the debt ceiling for less than a year, continuing to play games with our economy. So that's the sort of stuff that they... Spew, That's the way they couch it, That's the way they frame it, That's the way they communicate it to their left-wing base. And like train seals, they just absolutely lap it all up. And that's the fundamental problem of this whole deal, this whole deal, is that nobody will just discuss it in an honest, straightforward manner. Speaking of which, the meltdown continues with Governor Ron DeSantis announcing his presidency. I heard him speak for a while this morning. He had a live event on the way down here to Camp Shelby. Here's my advice to the pre- to this presidential candidate and also to the former president. Focus on the economy. Tell us what sort of pro-growth policies you intend to implement. In the case of former President Trump, really don't want to hear about you bragging about the last term anymore. I get it. I think most people are, are cool with that. Don't want to hear about the election being stolen, and don't want to hear a bunch of name-calling, insults, and pejoratives directed at Ron DeSantis. In the case of you, Governor DeSantis, I, I don't want to hear 30 minutes of how you're attacking woke, woke culture. Say your piece on that. Let's talk about your pro-growth economic policies because poll after poll after poll shows that is by far the number one issue to american voters and also we're learning that they're extremely unhappy with the biden economy so that's your achilles heel focus on that don't tell us about you would fire fauci i don't think anybody cares about that at this point that maybe that gives us a glimpse into how you would govern and if that should happen again but right now Focus on the economy. That's what we want to hear. We're stepping aside for a break right here on midday's final segment coming up next in the Element Wealth Studios at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. Appreciate uh, the great tunes there, Rhino. I think everybody's loving that today, the patriotic sounds so appropriate as we approach uh, Memorial Day 2023. And, of course, inside this fantastic facility at Camp Shelby honoring Mississippians who served in our armed forces. And now look who's here, Luke Johnson, host of... Uh, Super Talk uh Golden Eagle Hour Super Talk Mississippi and we appreciate you being here all decked out in your USM gold because they're headed to the semifinals, right?
8: That's right. One last night. Conference. Walked it off last night. Danny Lynch uh, got a uh, bottom-of-the-night single. And uh, it, w- it was it was important for several reasons. You get today off. Golden yeah. Eagles don't have to play today. Um, but they woke up yesterday morning with an RPI about 28. They played Troy, which was a uh, about 34 or 33. And the Golden Eagles, as of right now, are in the 21 RPI slot. About which that? Um, The guys in the afternoon have been talking about it. We've been talking about it. Uh, Guys from D1. Southern Miss uh, really needs to be somewhere around 20. You know, maybe 19 to, to get um, to, to be able to to host. So, so they'll play. Uh, the, the thing about Gerard, though, with not playing today, they got to wake up early and they got to go at 9 a.m. in the morning in the winners bracket uh, because they play four games tomorrow. They okay. have, two teams have to get eliminated. Okay. So if you win one tomorrow, you're straight through to the winner take all championship on Sunday at one o'clock. Um, if you lose tomorrow, you got to turn around and play tomorrow afternoon in an elimination game. Troy, pretty good team too. Yes, Shane Lewis, their left fielder. Second in the country of 27 home runs, and somehow he went 0 for 4 last night with three strikeouts. (laughs) Uh, Troy had some good arms. Um, A guy that the Golden Eagles got to early uh, was a lefty that had shut him out previously. And uh, every single time that Southern Miss has played Troy this year, except one time, it's been like a a one-score game. And that's what it was last night. Eagles won 7-6. Yeah. Well,
3: do you think if the the Golden Eagles can uh, prevail and uh, take home the Southern um, Sun Belt Conference Championship Trophy, there will their RPI move
8: up? Yeah, so. Appalachian State plays Troy today yeah. in an elimination game. Southern Miss will get the winner of that tomorrow. Both of those teams are in the top hundred, but if they were to play Troy again and they were to beat Troy, yeah. that RPI is going to go up again. Sure. And if uh, Coastal's in the winners bracket on the other side, and uh, Coastal, you know, seventh in the country right now, but RPI wise, they're twelfth. So if Southern Miss were able to play in the championship game against Coastal, that's why a lot of people think they may only have to get to the championship game, because there have been some teams like Oklahoma State and West Virginia and Connecticut, and um, we're all pulling for the Clemson Tigers today to take out Boston College. <laughs> it's crazy what type of fans you become late in the season <laughs> to, to root for your team. Uh, what, is, what would a pitching matchup look like, you
3: think? Uh, if they get the well, well, what's what's up in the semifinal first? So they would that, they yeah.
8: would take on either Troy or Appalachian State. Southern Miss would start uh, game three starter Matt Adams. Okay, um, they did use Nico Maza yesterday. Um, so if Adams runs into trouble, they'd probably throw a, a Will Armistead, uh, a top reliever like Cross Sibley has not made an appearance. Golden Eagles have only used four pitchers in two games. Good and shape that's there. huge in tournament ball. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's the key. I mean, it's really it's a it's a. Pitching endurance contest as much as it is anything. And when, when you still have got uh, folks that are kind of higher up on the ladder in the rotation available, and, uh, and your competitors are having to go a little deeper.
8: It uh, it makes for interesting games. If, if Appalachian wins today, it'll be their fourth game tomorrow. It would be Troy. Oh, it'd be their fifth game. It'll be Troy's fourth and Southern Miss is only yeah. third. There is a situation. I don't think it would happen too much. But Hall only threw a hundred pitches on um, on on uh, Wednesday, and so you know Sunday would would be like a bullpen day for him. I don't think they would. You know, throw forty or fifty pitches, but if you needed an inning or two to start the game right out of Tanner Hall, he might be available,
3: or maybe even a a, a key critical situation on an AB might, yeah. might, might match up well. Yeah. Uh, coach may think that and pull him in, right. throw a batter or something yeah. like that. But I was, in fact, that's what I was going to ask you next if you think he might be available.
8: Yeah, I mean he he's, he's got, got a dominant. He's got a throw. At the same time, you're going to play in a regional, yep. so you know you, you just you don't risk it. Um, if if it were in a regional, it would be completely different. Yeah. But uh, this is one where you know you're going to play next weekend.
3: Yeah, but it it looks good though. The team's playing it together does. well. That's, they seem to have a a good uh, good frame of mind. Uh, which is important when you're in tournament play like this. It's, uh, it's a lot of games a short and period of th- time. I think
8: um, we should mention this. You know, William Carey's still playing. They're in the World Series up in Idaho. But as far as, you know, on the on, on this level, Southern Miss is the only team left. And I think there's a whole lot of people in the state of Mississippi that want to see him get hot to, sure. to send Scott on a run in totally um, his last year.
3: totally agree. Let's get to Omaha. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? It would be. And William Carey, how about that? Dr. Burnett told me yesterday he's headed to Idaho. Good stuff. He's going to watch the Crusaders. Good stuff. Super Talk
8: Hattiesburg's uh, broadcasting those games. That's right.
3: Fantastic. Luke, congratulations uh, on all the success the Golden Eagles have had in baseball this year for sure. And um, I hope they pull it out. Thank you, Gerard. Yep. We'll see you soon. Folks, that's it for today. We are once again broadcasting from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. That's because it's Memorial Day. Remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms we enjoy in this great nation. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Spend it with your family. We'll be back with you again on Tuesday. Best of on Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.